Welcome to the Stranded Technologies podcast, where we explore how to accelerate the future. Imagine a world of abundance, longer lives, clean energy, transparent markets, robots and AI doing the toiling labor. Why don't we have those things yet? Join us as we explore the biggest problem that holds back frontier tech, overregulation. Now we have real solutions, startup cities, network states, and on-chain finance. Please find ways to support us in the show notes. Now enjoy this episode. Great. Today is December the 12th in 2023, and my guest is Ian Oluwa Abuyeji, also known as E. He is an iconic entrepreneur. He's the co-founder of Andela and was the former managing director of Flutterwave, the most valuable African technology startup to date. He is also a venture capitalist with Future Africa and the co-founder and chairman of Talent City, building a now called Itana, building a network of charter cities across Africa. Today, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about his life as an entrepreneur in Africa and how Itana is solving key challenges that African entrepreneurs face and unleash the power of tech. So, Yi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for having me on the show. Super excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a while. We tried to schedule this for a year. You've been a busy man. <laughs> I have been busy this year. It's been such an incredible year, but also tiring. So, very happy to wrap it up. I can't imagine. I want to hear all about it. Before we do, you can tell our listeners, how did you become an entrepreneur? What were the key moments in your life? Man, um, yeah, you know, the one thing that actually made me become an entrepreneur was watching a movie. Uh, ironically enough, <laughs> I watched the movie, The Social Network, which, which was supposed to make everybody hate Mark Zuckerberg. I watched it and I watched it again. And in hindsight, I was like, hey, I actually like the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I got it the first time. <laughs> I was like, I like it. I like this guy. I had to be watched before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was what got me into entrepreneurship. Uh, but I was really lucky. I mean, I had a really good friend. His name was Pierre Iris. Um, and, um, and, you know, he was one who introduced me to startups, introduced me to Jolog Sale introduced me to, you know, the whole world of, of startups. I didn't think it was possible before he, he came and, and he, he introduced me. So it was really good. Yeah. And what happened then? How did um, you get to start startups in mm -hmm. a place where it's not that easy to start startups? Well, I, I didn't start there. You know, I was in, at this time I was in Canada. I was, I was in the University of Waterloo, which is famous for startups. And um, at the time we had this residence program and my friend Pierre was in the program the first year and I used to go hang out with him. And after a few months, sometime in 2011, we decided to start a company uh, called booknetter.com. Um, the company wasn't ultimately successful, but we learned a lot of very important lessons from it. And by the time I graduated a few years later in 2011, um, by, by the end of 2012, you know, I started to make a decision about whether I wanted to stay in Canada or go home. And um, ultimately, I made the decision to go home to Nigeria and left uh, in July of 2013. And uh, that was when the difficulties really started because then I had to build a startup in Nigeria, which wasn't exactly the most friendly startup country at the time. So. Uh, that was an incredible experience just by itself. Tell us more. What were the challenges? And also, if I'm not mistaken, this was really one of the first successful tech startups in, in Africa, is that right? 
Well, it ended up becoming that. But when I moved back, I started with a company called Fora, F-O-R-A. And um, the big idea at the time was, you know, you got this, we, ha we have a lot of universities, not enough university lecturers. Is there a way we could help schools basically take a course across multiple different campuses and see whether we'd be able to make that work? And, and um, that was sort of our, our focus. And uh, needless to say, you know, it required regulatory approval to do that. And we tried without fail to get the regulatory approval and we didn't get it. Um, we, they just kept pending us and pending us and pending us. And then ultimately we decided to pivot into selling already approved MBA courses, online MBA courses or, or online courses in general, but mostly people mostly paid for MBAs because that meant you could increase your salary. <laughs> so I did that for a while and, you know, it was really odd, you know, just very shortly after we pivoted, you know, we had this company we had pitched earlier sort of ask us to, to take their money and we took their money and part of the conditions for taking their money was to go over to New York uh, to meet with them and to meet with other investors. And I did that. And while I was in New York with my team, where I hadn't seen in over a year, um, you know, I remember that I had met a gentleman um, some years back um, and that 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 man, um, you know, had expressed the desire to support us in whatever we chose to do. So I started to email him frantically and um, um, basically I had given up hope like when I after like three days after the conference and my team had gone back home, I still couldn't reach him. Um, and I was about to leave the next day when he just emailed me at the 11th hour and said, hey, you know, can we have some salads and, and fresh and corn 25th and Madison, I think at the time. And, and that was, that was how we met up. And, um, you know, I met with him and he was, we were both very excited to reconnect. Um, and, and, um, you know, our discussion that night gave birth to and Andela, which, which is now one of, like you said, the most successful companies <laughs> on the continent on account of how much it's poured into human capital on the continent over the last couple of years. Um, so it just gives you a sense of, um, sorry, it just gives you a sense of, of, of where of where the, you know, the ecosystem was and, you know, Jeremy, I was very lucky to work with Jeremy and learn from Jeremy, um, over three years as we built Andela from scratch. Great. Um, how did you, or, or you had to, startups have a certain culture, right? And have certain values that, um, so how much of that was already present in, in Nigeria where you started and uh, operated the company, right? How much, what is it already present and how much did you have to teach people? We taught, we taught people a lot, maybe everything, because I remember consistently telling my team that, um, this is Andela and, and this is Andela, um, sounds like an innocuous statement, but it actually comes from this is Africa. I don't know if you've heard that expression before, where if something bad happens, they're like, well, TIA, this is Africa. <laughs> so 
you know, you just got to live with it. And I would tell our team, this is Andela. This is not Africa. <laughs> and, and, and try and force them to mentally transform themselves into a different plane so they could achieve at the levels we needed them to. And honestly, that made a big difference for how successful we became because people sort of learned, you know, you couldn't be late. You couldn't imbibe all these different, you know, cultures. And we had to create our own brand new startup culture, which was, um, you know, heavily egalitarian, very performance driven and, and um, extremely focused on efficiency and on, on, on people kind of doing the right things and distinguishing themselves. Not just as you mean, um, you know, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is Africa, not making excuses for failure and all that. So I think that made a big difference for us. Fantastic. And I know many people that worked for Andela or later Flutterwave also came to start, um, other startups right afterwards, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Can Absolutely. you talk a bit about that and what influence that had on entrepreneurship yeah. and technology uh, on the continent? Well, and that made a lot of things immediately possible, right? One of the things it made possible was the whole concept of remote work. And remote work was really important because um, it created uh, an, a, an, uh, a window for engineers to become more important than suits because they had a viable alternative to being funded, which was they could basically work for a company for a year or two years, and then they could be funded. So, you know, they didn't really need that business school partner who would pay them nothing. And that was an important shift in the mentality of the ecosystem. The second thing that it sparked was really, you know, most other ecosystems had sort of built their ecosystem from government funding down. <laughs> and what Andela had managed to do was build um, the ecosystem from 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 grassroots um, talent up. So as a result, uh, you know, you were you were able from to find great talent to work for you uh, on account of some of the programs that Andela in particular took on, and the fact that they had developed this talent at scale. And then the third impact was really the copycats, who I think really helped our model truly truly scale. You know, so lots of Companies kind of, you know, stepped into the void to, to help us, um, but to, to create more talent and build a business for themselves. So, you know, a lot of this I've seen, you know, and uh, I think our evolution was truly special because of the way we managed to do it at Andela. Yeah. You mentioned you were able to achieve what many of these top-down organizations like all the world banks or developments or whatever uh, are trying to do, uh, what does it say about these organizations or about the approach? What's good about it and what can be improved yeah. or done better? Or is it even actively like damaging? Well, I think, I don't think they intend to be. Um, I think they genuinely mean well, but I think that what they don't realize is that, you know, they are self-perpetuating mechanisms for development. <laughs> so ultimately, the system sort of acts in a way that forces it to reproduce itself. You know what I mean? And, as, and those are not the best conditions for entrepreneurship and innovation to thrive, right? So 
um, ultimately what I, I feel like a lot of these older firms, um, in particular are trying to do, um, is just, you know, um, they're not really giving themselves the benefit of a ton of leverage. You know what I mean? And know-how and all that. And, and what they've done is just back a lot of, you know, back, back a number of traditional players and make plays that seem reasonable. Uh, but it's not game changing. And I think a testament to that is the reality that I think IFC only backed Andela. IFC definitely didn't back Flutterwave um, or any of my other companies. Yeah, maybe maybe they backed Move a lot later, but they, they definitely didn't just back Andela in like the Series A. And that was via Learn Capital Investment. So a lot of these guys never caught on to innovation early because they never empowered people who could think about innovation early. Um, and, uh, and they never really enabled anybody to take the kind of risks that we had to take to start our own firm. So these are the challenges. These are really the challenges. And that's even the case now that, you know, entrepreneurship and technology is kind of more proven in Africa. There's venture capital funds such as your own. Are they investing in these kinds of entities at least? Well, they're trying. They're trying to invest. I mean, they're not ignoring us entirely. I wish they would sometimes, but they're not. <laughs> um, so? I mean, just generally, you know, part of the challenge is that, you know, nowadays the narrative is shifting to you know, oh, you know, venture capital in Africa cannot return, right? <laughs> and it's just a way for them to justify their failure at deploying capital, you know? Um, they deploy capital to a lot of people who didn't have a commercial nose, you know, and were very much development experts as opposed to capital allocators. And, um, and of course, they had the uh, very comfortable lifestyles and <laughs> that generally meant that, you know, a lot of these guys optimize for fees as opposed to for carry. And that's a lot of what you see in the space. In venture capital in general, or you mean in international organizations investing in venture capital? Well, I'd say capital in general, yeah. um, but with a particular focus on, on venture capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, you already mentioned with Andela, regulations were a challenge. I'm assuming that was a challenge with Flutterwave as well. Well, yeah, I mean, whole business at Flutterwave was regulation, right? <laughs> but by then, we we're a lot more experienced. You know, we had learned how to work, you know, hunt with the, with the dogs and <laughs> or move with the hounds, you know, because... Um, um, you know, there's so much to, to understand about the way the country works and how it thinks about regulation, but we were able to kind of work together with the right players and mentorship to be able to deliver what was an outstanding outcome, um, for, for, for the country. So I, I think, um, yeah, that, that's basically yeah. area. Uh, can you talk a bit more about that, right? Because this is kind of the key topic of this podcast, right? So it's often that regulation is standing in the way of innovations in many important sectors, right? So that's why I really like to get sort of a very fine grained, detailed view of how you first uh, came to experience the problem with Andela and what you then learned that you were able to translate into success with Flutterwave. So how were you able to solve oh. those regulatory challenges? 
So I think that the story starts with Fora in actual fact, right? <laughs> and at Fora, you know, we're trying to get this license that would allow us to teach students online um, while they're, you know, basically while they're in another school, right? Um, so, you know, we, 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 we had this platform. It was great. We, we, we're, we're doing it. Uh, we needed an approval from the Office of Distance Learning from the NUC. And I uh, went there every day for a month <laughs> to try and get it, but the director wouldn't even see me. And to be fair to him, it wasn't clear to him I was helping anything he wanted to do, right? So that was the first lesson for me was, you know, it really doesn't matter what you want to do. What matters is whether you have an alignment with what the other person wants to get done because you're the one asking him for stuff. Um, and that, that, that changed how I approached things at Andela, even down to the design of the program where we would actually pay people to come and learn. Uh, but that solved a number of problems for us. First of all, of course, you know, a lot of young people straight out of school with family dependents to feed wouldn't be able to focus on the program if we didn't pay them. Um, but the second problem it solved for us was it prevented us from being classified as an academic institution, which would mean us getting an accreditation, which I didn't want to get, primarily because the curriculum that the government mandated us to teach was crap. <laughs> <laughs> So by paying them, they became employees. And because they were employees, I could do whatever I liked with them. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, when you went to Flutterwave, I think that was when you learned the beauty of being proactive and actually just crafting regulation with the regulator before starting a business. <laughs> um, and while we started by partnering with existing players in a wonky way, we very quickly moved on to, um, you know, working, working directly with the powers that be to basically make it state policy. Um, and, and that really, really helped us. So what were you able to give them that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten? Or how were you able to incentivize them, get their attention, make them see, hey, what you're doing, um, this small startup could become something that they benefit from? I think it was less about what I was able to do and more how I was able to approach it. And I think a lot of it stemmed from the reality that I understood better than anybody else that it didn't matter what I wanted, what mattered was what they wanted. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time listening for that. And that really helped us because um, a lot of people would have lost out um, um, in the same circumstances as I managed to excel simply because of my insane focus on just how do we understand what it is they want and how do we design to make sure it is. And a lot of the time, a lot of people, if you're unscrupulous, you assume it's money and <laughs> you try to bribe the official. Of course, that's a bad idea. Um, but if you're, if you're like me and you've got a lot of time, it's really just spending time with them and understanding what their dreams and hopes are what kind of legacy they want to leave in office and, and how whatever changes made could be sustainable and put the government in the best light. And that, that served me well, you know, because I was able to build this laws that, that basically propelled the fintech industry 
Um, but even more importantly, and, and very excitedly, um, we were also able to build a really, really cool, um, um, that was in my next startup move. Um, we've gotten really, really good about, uh, at it, right? We understand touch points. We understand how the stakeholders think. We bring people together. And even today now with, with um, Itono and Talent City, like that is literally our bread and butter. I, I like to say to people that policy creates markets. So I, I really consider myself a policy entrepreneur some days. Yeah. So let's talk about Itana. So yeah. what is Itana and why did you start it? Well, Itana is Africa's first free zone dedicated to digital economy and financial services businesses. And the big idea is, you know, a country like Nigeria and many other countries around the world, if we sort of perfected the, the art of um, attracting investors via free zones, but many of these free zones were designed primarily for manufacturing and trade, not services or digital economy. So what we're doing at Itono is twofold. First, at a policy level, creating the right kind of policy environment for any large company around the world to set up within a free zone in Nigeria, right? That's number one. Number two, um, the, the reality of, um, of, of how these things tend to get done in real, like, you know, is, is that, um, you're spending quite a bit of your time as a new company, um, hoping and praying that the regime that you've now gotten into doesn't change overnight within the next, at least three to five years. But because of the legislative process and the fact that it's a lot of uneven developments in the country and the representation in the House and Senate is representative of the country, a lot of what you're trying to do is not easily understood. <laughs> and so as a result, you may get legal repercussions that you didn't gain for just out of the blue. Um, the beauty of being in a free zone like ours is that we work with you to make the rules so that they are fair, but also very long term and they don't just change, right? Depending on who gets elected. So that's actually a big, big, big plus. And then finally, there's the infrastructure because there's so much infrastructure for digital, uh, services and financial services that just hasn't been built, right? From offices where developers can live and work to, you know, the right kind of private banking that, that, you know, people who earn remotely want, you know, those things don't exist. And, um, we were able to bring those things to four, um, through Itana and all the while building an incredible community of amazing digital economy professionals that love the place are excited to one day make their membership of the community. Uh, something that happens physically. Fantastic. Um, and talk a bit more about the free zone status and the kind of regulatory or legal autonomy or advantages that you get from it that uh, makes it possible to do what you do, what makes things possible that otherwise wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's incredible for African com 
companies in particular, but even companies that are looking to do business in Africa, because online you can register a company just like you can in Estonia, in Delaware, wherever, and um, automatically you get for a thousand dollars or less um, a brand new company on Nigerian soil that plays by different <laughs> rules. Um, you get uh, an incredible um, um, experience, different experiences, you know. Um, but, but most importantly, bottom line wise, there's no corporate income tax. Um, the only tax you pay is on invoices sent out um, from within this free zone. Um, you, you, you don't get, um, you have a fast track to a three-year work permit, right? Um, and you get the benefit of community, which is living with other people that you work with or admire because they're part of the tech community. So that's sort of what we've optimized for in our design. Beyond yeah, the beta space and so on and so on. Yeah, I'm also a member of the Tana community. I'm a digital yes. resident as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So it's an amazing and infectious energy there. Can you talk a bit about the community and the kind of stories that you're seeing or um, that you want to that, that you want to take uh, form uh, in the Itana community? You know, I mean the the magic of Itana, like you mentioned, is really the community. And you know, the other day I was talking to our team and they mentioned that um, two Itana people who met on the Itana platform got married, and and actually. You know, just zooming 500 meters above, you know, um, when you look at the evolution of the Enlightenment, you see that there are places like Edinburgh, there are places like Philadelphia, there are places like Boston that served as the intellectual bastion of these, uh, of the ideals of that era. And there were a lot of very smart, talented, globally recognized people who were in close proximity with each other. And as a result, we're able to create such outsized value for civilization. And it's my hope that, that part of what Itana can inspire is that kind of collaboration. I just find that when you live um, with a lot of smart people, it's just incredible, right? What you come up with just by virtue of that intellectual, you know, you know, debate and engagement and discussion. And, and it's my hope we can recreate that. For, for this affair. Fantastic. Um, you say that Itana or Talent City, um, correct me, which is the best way to talk about it. Well, is it Itana. Yeah. Itana is what you decided to name it. The community okay, okay. decided to name it Itana, so we'll leave it at that. But okay. my, my pioneer name was Talent City. Okay, okay. So that's <laughs> no longer used? Um, well, it's used to refer to the kind of city we're building. Mm -hmm. But it's not longer used as the name okay, of the okay. city. Uh, and is the goal still to build a network of charter cities? That is still my goal of talent cities. How do we build a network of talent cities around the world where the same conditions exist? Still my Great. goal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how big do you want this to be? I think, you know, when you think about the world and where we're going as a species, I think that this could be... You know, I think you could have a network of a hundred cities with a million really smart people living in them. That's that's when I think that we've got into some critical scale. 
Great. And how do you plan on scaling and what are, what, what efforts are on the way to start the next Itanas or how do you think about sort of getting, um, getting yeah. more Itanas started? Well, I think the first thing is building the software and the software for a city is the policies that run. <laughs> it's getting the rules right. It's getting the process of rulemaking right. It's getting the tax laws right. It's getting the taxes right. It's getting the 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 way money comes in and the way money goes out right, getting the identity right, getting the kind of people can be in the city right. So we've spent a lot of time on the software because, you know, the hardware has its constraints and we've been mixing concrete for millennia. So there's nothing new about building a city. <laughs> but if the software is right and the community is right, I think we'll get a lot of things right. Yeah, for sure. Uh Listen, regular listeners of this podcast will um, will see a lot of familiarities with other projects we've spoken with, with Prospera, with, with many others. Um, what's your um, what's the what do you see right now uh, working with other African governments when it comes to special economic zones? I saw Kenya and recently Malawi adopted new legislation for special economic zones. So how could this be? They could this be as a solution for um, for Africa? I think that's as far as we get it when it comes to China cities. Um, I really believe that those are the right vehicles because in this part of the world, we're really focused on creating jobs. But in Nigeria, for example, we face to face, we fail to face the reality that just 5% of our economy is actually services. Um, and we try to pretend like we're this big manufacturing industrial base. Personally, I think that time is over for Africa. Um, very much like Peter Thiel says, you know, like, you know, you only get a Google once. <laughs> and I think you only get industrial policy driven development once. And now I think we need to start thinking about services, especially in the wake of AI and real questions arising about human in the loop and stuff like that. So that's my point of view. I think, can we retrofit our SCZs to make perhaps expand their focus, maybe not make a shift? from purely industrial policy, trade and manufacturing to services, digital services, outsourcing services, financial services. That's, that's my big bet for the next millennia. Yeah, kind of as a new uh, development model or paradigm, right? Sort of to your yeah. initial um, idea of, or how would you prove with your startups of like bottom-up innovation, right? What do you see as um, opportunities that are untapped or that other uh, entrepreneurs that are looking to enter the space to start, you know, to work with special economic zones, African governments? What do you see as opportunities that, um, yeah. that you can recommend people to tap into? There's a lot of opportunities that we've seen. There's so much we've had to solve for. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, software that works, like, and I mean by software, I mean just like, government-driven, government software for administering these zones that just works would be awesome. <laughs> I know Sid started working on something many, many, many years ago and ultimately exposed it. But I think that that's still very much needed. Just somebody who just makes software that works, you know, that you can plug and play. Um, we're building it now, but, you know, I really wish we didn't have to. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also seems to me, and I've had this conversation with many people in our network, um, that one of the big bottlenecks is getting 
great entrepreneurs uh, to um, do these special economic zones or starter cities, right? So there seem to be many governments that are willing to do it, but not enough in the entrepreneurs. Do you have any yeah. reflections well, on I that? Think, I think the reality is that when you get one to work, right, then you can build in other places because there's so many skills that must come together to make these things work well. From your ability to, you know, diplomatic engagement, to stakeholder alignment, to, you know, um, policy, to, you know, execution, to documentation, to lawmaking. So there's so many skill sets that come together to make these things work. So I think once somebody gets it right, I think that then everybody's going to get what they want out of it. Yeah. Do you have to teach it all yourself to be what you said, a policy entrepreneur, or did you have some guidance or some resources, some books that, that helped you a lot? Well, I, learned, I learned a lot of ways, um, um, from conversations with those who've tried it before I did and all the way to books that have given me some general guidelines. So there's no one way, <laughs> there's no course, sadly, maybe until we've done the study, then we can think about it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like. Um, it requires a lot. It's hard to put into one playbook. Um, what do you think is you need most right now to scale Itana? For me, I think I need companies that want to build in Africa. More than anything else, I need companies that want to build in Africa, coming to Itana, joining our residency like you have, showing up in Lagos <laughs> for us to host them. That's what we need. I mean, everything else is theoretical. We want real life contact. That's what we need. Yeah. Well, how are you experiencing how your heart it is of what you're doing to attract people? Because I mean, in Honduras, it's a very different situation. There is like political perception challenges that uh, make a lot of people hesitate. Yeah, right. But... So I organize like a lot of conferences, very frontier tech things just to give people yeah. tastes. And I go out into yeah. lots of different communities to talk to them. So like, Hey, yeah. here we are. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's part of it. And we'll start doing a lot of that next year. Lukman actually runs um, Town City, um, Itana, not me. And he's thinking a lot about that kind of stuff. And I think it'll work. Um, so yeah, I think that a lot of that stuff is necessary now. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you would like to draw attention to when it comes to your work? Anything that oh. you want to recruit uh, help with that listeners can approach you for? Well, you know, I'll just say this, right? Like, if you think about places in the world where you want to be for the next hundred years, and by the way, I'm stealing this directly from my British friend. And he says, at the end of the day, there are only three places in the world where if you were born speaking English, you're probably at an advantage, right? <laughs> and one of those places is probably Lagos. <laughs> Right. Because, you know, think about it, you know, you want to be in India, but it's done. All the entire opportunity is over. Right. China, you're 30 years too late. <laughs> right. And there's Nigeria. Right. And I think a lot of people have an interesting perception of this place, but this remains the capital, start of capital in Africa. We can send all the beginners to Kenya. So if you want to come out here to Nigeria and build something worthwhile, I really welcome you to do so. A lot of very interesting people are doing so over the next year. So hit me up. Tell me Fantastic. about it. Great. Uh, final question. What gives you hope or inspiration? Man, God. 
<laughs> the Bible. <laughs> all, all my inspiration comes from my faith. Um, and the fact that I know that this place can really become a very special place. It's destined to be that. And it's destined to be that because I've watched it happen in other places. And there's no reason why it can't happen here too. For sure. No, this is absolutely remarkable interviewee. I, I think it's yeah. a bombshell to hear that you had to be a policy entrepreneur to achieve many of these things that you have to unleash African technology and entrepreneurship. And you had to learn many of these lessons over time, some of which translate into making it possible for other entrepreneurs as well. And with Itana, you kind of doubling down on that and really it's developing nice. a new paradigm for, for economic development and unleashing yeah. the potential of um, places where um, opportunity was, was lacking for so thank you so much for sharing these insights with thank us. You, it was a huge inspiration to see you, your journey and your work with Itana and with Future Africa and the many things that you've done and the many other entrepreneurs that you're inspiring to, to create. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Niklas, for your patience and for getting us to do this. Thank you so much. It was an absolute honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars in your favorite podcast app and consider subscribing to our Substack. I appreciate your support that makes this show possible. See you in the next one.